right. So John four twenty. Can somebody read it for me, please? Woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, the time is coming. You'll worship the Father. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. So there's a lot of things. Like, first of all, I feel like it's, I, I love that the, that verses, the conversation between a Samaritan woman and, and Jesus. And it's a very powerful aspect, a power, powerful uh, passage in the, in the gospel. And we lo- the reason we wanted to look at it is because that was one of her concerns is how to worship God. Like there, she could have asked a number of things from him, right? There, there's all these things. But she, t- uh, as soon as he kind of talks to her about, he opens it, uh, opens her eyes up before that. She says, I can see you're a prophet. And the next thing is like, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So for some reason, that was a big concern to her. Where, can, where do we need to worship? Like, I, I think it's, it's amazing that that was the first thing that came out. And I think for us, Worship is an important aspect of it. How do we worship? Because there's so many ideas of what worship is. Because, you know, when when people read about the heaven or everlasting life, says, and we will worship the Lord always. So they're like, all right, we're just going to be singing, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty forever and ever and ever, eternity, and then some. And there's all these things. But And for us, just like for this woman at the well, we want to know how to worship, what to worship. And I love that... He's talking about that there's a change going to happen, right? It says, yet time is coming and now and has now come. So there was a change. Change is happening. Change is happening for Samaritans. Change is happening for, for the Jews. Change is happening for the world. That the true worshipers will worship the, the, the Father in spirit and in truth. And we're going to talk more about the spirit and truth. For their, and this is a key, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. How cool is that? That the God is seeking worshipers who will worship in the spirit and the truth. God is seeking that. that that's, his, um, that's his desire to seek somebody who's going to worship in the spirit and in truth. And we're going to look at some verses today that's gonna, that we're going to see what does that look like. Because when Trish and I were talking about that, preparing it, I'm like, all right, that's a good verse. But what does it mean, spirit and truth? How do you worship in spirit and truth? Is it like in tongues? Is it in uh, just doing psalms, just reading psalms? Because that's the truth. How does that look like? So we're very uh, excited about it because it talks about, it says that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So our spirit and his spirit there's going to be some kind of communication and that's how we're going to worship him right so so that's kind of the intro that, that i wanted to kind of set us up so kind of as we're going through this that idea of worshiping in spirit and truth is going to be repeated okay all right all right so we want to go to back to romans um chapter 12 
you want to read it? Yeah, this is a really familiar verse, but we'll just look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So that's the main part. We can also look at verse 2 where it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you want to? Yeah. Okay. So this kind of ties into some of what we've been talking about. Again, at this point, we were talking about loving ourselves, right? If we're looking at like our flow chart, it was like, love the Lord your God, love your church, and then love yourself. And we talked about our mind, we talked about our bodies, and how we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, with all that we are. And learning how to um, embrace emotions, how to take, um, take authority over our mind. And we looked at this verse specifically about the renewing of our mind uh, and how we do that uh, by, by washing ourselves in the word through prayer and through worship, through these different things. Um, but also how we have to integrate all of who we are. Um, I saw this little post and it said that you do not have a soul you have a body, but you are a soul. Mm -hmm. And we tend to separate the soul from the body, from the mind and these things. And what we have to realize is that uh, we, are, we are all of those things integrated, that the, the physical world is not our primary domain. This is temporary. The spiritual is who we were really created to be. The spiritual realm is the core of who we are. But even when we are resurrected, even in, in the kingdom of God, even in heaven, we will have bodies. We'll have new bodies. But we have to learn how to honor God with our bodies as well as just our minds. Like some of us are like, well, you know, I'm just kind of more of an introverted person. I don't really like show emotion or I don't really get physically expressive. And then other people are like, well, maybe I'm Italian, so I'm talking with my hands. Wow. You know, we're all, she doesn't do that, but I, I just, it's, a, it's a stereotype. So, you know, we, we have these kind of things and we're like, well, this is just who God created me to be. But the reality is, is that God created all of us, all of who we are, and we're supposed to surrender all of who we are in worship. So it's not just this mental process. It's not just an emotional process and it's not just a physical process. And the verse in John tells us that first and foremost, we worship in spirit. So if we just sit there first, we have to understand that, we, that, that worship is a spiritual process. This verse in Romans says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. So again, it's learning to connect the physical world with the spiritual world. So as we take our bodies in worship, as you lift your hands, as you bow down, as you kneel, as maybe you lay on the floor and you bawl your eyes out, whatever that looks like for you, maybe you go for a jog, um, but there's a physical process that is involved. Like you said that you feel joy some, you know, when you surrender. And, and sometimes the, that surrendering is just kind of like, it's all in our head. Like we just kind of, <laughs> but God didn't design it that way. He designed for us to, to embrace the physical, our emotions, to let ourselves cry, for our heart to race maybe, you know, when you're having an encounter with God. And, and the thing is though, is that it starts with the spirit. You cannot, uh, th this was our first point. The first thing that we want you to understand that God was showing us 
through the scriptures about worship is that worship does not start with you. So just like the woman at the well who's like, do we worship on this mountain or that mountain or this or that? We talk about what kind of music. Should we have psalms or hymns, contemporary music, classical music? Like, you know, do we stand, sit, kneel? Should we lift our hands? Should we not? Should we dance? Should we fall on the floor like we're slaying the spirit? We get into all these characters. And it, but we're, we're starting from the wrong place. Even our services, church services, you go to any church service across the country or around the world, and 99.99% of them start off with worship. And what we do is we call worship this singing and it's like we're trying to like invite the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? We think it's like we're, we're coming into worship like somehow we will reach some ecstatic state and the presence of God will fall on us. I just want to like pause with that for a second and see yeah. if you guys have like thoughts or because that's that's a lot to take in to like what we how do we currently define worship? What has been our current practice in worship? much as you just stated in your later um as part of the worship team i always think that you know what we're inviting the spirit here uh to set the tone for us to receive the word so yeah according to my wife said earlier there's so much we don't know um and that's a big thing worship does not start with you so i'm interested in hearing okay what's what's the right the order the order of god so this was one of the things, because we, we felt, it was, it was interesting, because as we prayed about this group and how God wanted our, our rhythm and stuff to go, like, we knew we wanted worship to be part of it, but we were like, ah, maybe if we just don't do it at the beginning, because we just feel like, like we said, we were, as we were studying this this week, too, we were, like, mind-blowing. We were like, wow, wow, have we just not, like, where has this been all my life? <laughs> like, what? Um, and so it was just interesting because when we have had worship, we've kind of been putting it like at the end. And so it was really interesting because as we were unfolding this, we were like, wow, this, this is actually, this makes sense because the first point is that worship is a response to the presence of God. So every time you look in scripture, you know, Daniel sees the angel of the Lord and he falls down like he's dead in worship. Revelation, John falls down and he worships, right? Isaiah. The, the wise men, they bow before Jesus in worship. Isaiah, I mean, we could go over and over. Every account in scripture where someone falls like and worships, every encounter in scripture of worship, even David, when he dances, you know, because they're going to the temple, there was, God's presence was going first. So, God is already there. So when we show up to church, we don't have to create a worship experience to bring the presence of God. We should be worshiping in reaction to encountering the presence of God. Like we see God, we heard from God, our spirit connected to his spirit, and worship is a response. Worship is not the beginning of the conversation. So prayer, prayer is how we start a conversation, right? And we talked about that, like our first time together, we were talking about prayer, about how so often our prayer is one way and we do all the talking and we were learning to listen. Well, throughout the week, if we have an attitude of prayer and we're praying 
and our posture is like, okay, Lord, this is what's on my heart. This is what's on my mind. And then we're listening when God speaks and when he reveals himself and he shows himself to you, that's when worship comes in. It's the response. So you can't manufacture it. It's our, it's our natural response when we encounter God. So I, the first thing that we just really wanted to sit with is the fact that worship is not something that we initiate. It's something that we do in response to who God is and what he has done. And the great thing about this is that we don't have to sit here and wait for God to do something for him to be worthy of this worship. He has done it already. So when we come on Sunday, yeah. there, there's nothing that needs to happen for us to get this worship. He yeah. has done this for us. He has given that breath, right? We're dust and he has given us breath in our lungs for worship. No other reason but to give thanks to him, to honor him, to give glory to him. He's done enough. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, and we talked a little bit about that. That's when you're just broken and hurting and, so, and somebody be like, well, you have breath in your lungs. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, and you dismiss the pain and the hurt and everything else. When people are sick, when people are losing their jobs, when they're there people are dying in their lives you're just going through something and sometimes there is there is that well at least you're alive well, jesus died on the cross for you so rejoice right but well it's we we can find that's what kind of gives us that strength to to praise him it's, it's the same strength that that gave uh, breath for jesus on the cross when before his last breath he said it is finished that was his praise that i've done everything that god desired of me he says it is done and he takes his last breath so his last breath just like it was given to him to worship his last breath was there to worship god because of response because he knew what 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 just happened so with that you know we we were looking at where does worship first occur in scripture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were led to, to look at the life of Abraham because Abraham is the first person who was recorded with the word in Hebrew that means to worship. So in chapter 12 of Genesis, the Lord calls Abraham and he, and he speaks to Abraham. And it's just an interesting journey because God gives him a promise, and it says in verse 7, The Lord appeared to Abraham, and he says, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. But there's no worship there. He builds an altar, but there's no worship. Mm -hmm. So he sees God, and he hears from God, and he builds an altar. So it looks like worship, but the word there is not worship. Then in chapter 14, uh, verse 17, after Abraham defeats uh, the, the kings that came after Sodom, verse 18, it says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, this is a whole other thing we could sit with for a while. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. 
He was a priest of the God Most High. He blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So here we have Abraham participating. Hebrews makes the connection with Melchizedek and how he was a foreshadowing of Christ. So he's participating in bread and wine, right? He's participating basically in the Lord's Supper. And he gives him a tenth of everything. But again, the word there is not worship. So finally, when you get to chapter 18, Abraham has now been walking with the Lord for over 20 years. He has built a relationship and he, there's a familiarity that's there. And so we watch actually how Abraham needs to learn how to worship. And it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing by. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he worshiped them. Here it's translated as bowed low to the ground. But that is actually the first occurrence of the word worship. And he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. And so the part that's, again, that we were, we were saying at the initial is that it starts, worship begins with recognizing the presence of the Lord. And you won't recognize his presence if you don't have a relationship. God may be blessing you in a thousand ways, but you're not going to recognize him if you don't know who he is. So Abraham, this is not the first time Abraham has seen God, but he doesn't grasp. It takes him years to fully grasp when there's a physical appearance of the Lord in front of him. He finally is like, oh man, this is amazing. I'm going to worship. Like he has learned over time. You know, first he built an altar. Then he's, he's going through actually, interestingly, the rituals, yeah. a lot of the things that we've been taught are worship, right? They're the traditional outward things of worship. But the first time worship is actually used isn't all the way until verse 18, where he's been with the Lord for 20 years. And the Lord doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything in that moment. But Abraham knows to worship him because he knows all the things the Lord has already done. And he knows the promises that God has given him of what he will do. And so, again, it's, it's not that, you know, we have to wait for God to do something in that moment. But as we have a relationship with God, we, and we start to be aware, we start to see how he, you know, sent that car in a different direction when it could have collided with us. We see how he sent us that check when the bill was due. We see how he helped us through a panic attack and how he helped us finish the lesson plan, how he helped us confront the family member that normally would have been toxic. Like we start to see, so then the worship becomes, it doesn't have to be manufactured, it's more organic because we're like, I have this list of things that that you have done and you are worthy of worship. Like you don't need to do anything else because you've given me the breath that I have right here and right now. I don't need signs and wonders. I don't need a magic trick. I just need your presence. And another piece of it, which then we'll, I don't know if you want to go there with it, is the fact that he says, do not pass me by. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the important piece of what worship is about. Why do we worship? God already has legions of angels who just bow 
throughout eternity saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He, he's looking for people who want this relationship. And Abraham bows down and he says, do not pass your servant by. He wants the presence of God to stay with him. He wants to eat with him. He wants to have a meal with him. He wants to get to know him and share conversation. And our worship should look like that, where we say, God, I see you. I know you're with me. Do not pass me by, right? Abraham has an encounter where the glory of God passes him by. Elijah has an encounter where the glory of God passes him by. We read this week about how Jesus was on the boat, right? And he was going to pass them by. And, and what, what God is looking for is these worshipers who in spirit and in truth are like, God, don't pass me by. Like, stay with me. Abide with me. Like, I, I want you to, he wants us to want to be in relationship with him. Yeah, and it's, it's that focusing on the Spirit, we need to understand that our worship is led by the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to worship the Holy God. We need that connection. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to worship Him. He's going to lead. He's going he's gonna to be the one who's going to um, invoke the worship. Is that a good word? Invoke, does it say? Um, it's it's that it's the to be led by worship to be at a place of today I'm right I was just riding my motorcycle today and I'm listening to worship and it just the some couple of words came on and it just broke me on the inside and I'm over here this stuff biker going going on the highway and I'm I'm weeping because because just God is so good it was it was just funny it was a song that I haven't heard in a long time but it was like. Uh, it talked about led me into the holy of holies mm. and i was just like he did that he did that but it was my spirit speaking to god's spirit and it was just this interaction and uh, again it talks about he's in um in john 4 21 i'm sorry 23 it talks about it's that he wants us to worship in spirit and in truth it doesn't want we don't want to be at a place of just doing worship or acting like worship we want the spirit to be behind it and want it to be honest worship because there there's times when when i know myself there's times when i'm coming in and my heart is not there far away from god to be honest and i'm trying to worship and, and i can't i can't i can't sing i can't not because of there's nothing for me to worship him nothing for me to bow it's just daddy at this point, you know my heart, and if I just put on a show for you, you will know. Yeah. You will know at this point, and I would not be truthful to you with my worship. And that is an important aspect of it. That's why we need to be in tune with our spirit and with the Holy Spirit, so that way we can be able to do all those things. So when we talk about loving God with all your heart and soul and strength and spirit and loving others, that is led by the spirit so we can worship God as we love our neighbors, as ourselves, as we love God, as we, as we do all those things led by the spirit. Again, Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is act of worship. So it's it's a it's it's a big one and I love it. 
I absolutely love it. Like, it, was, it was a couple of days ago about that devotional that Jesus was passing them by and he stopped. And I think it, it's, it's awesome. And because of the, it's, you have these amazing people like Moses that God himself put him in the crevice of the mountain. He's like, I'm going to pass you by so you can, you know, it's, it's just, it was just, it's an amazing thing. But because of the Holy Spirit that is in us, he doesn't pass us by. He's here. He's with us. Because the disciples, because the connection that Peter had with, with Christ, he didn't pass him by because they were fearful. But then it's like, man, if it's you, Lord, like he's not he's not only passing by. He's like, man, I'm running to you. Mm, yeah. You know, it's it's an amazing thing. And and uh, just just a side note, it's it's sadness, and we've read about this in the Gospels where Jesus lands uh, on the, on the beach. And then there, and there's uh, demon-possessed men, and they run to him, and they bow down and worship him, and honor him who he is. Demons honor him because they know who he is, mm -hmm. and they worship him. They run to him. It's, it's amazing. It's kind of the same picture here of Abraham running and bowing down in total well, sober fear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's just physically, it, it looks very physically you know what I, you know what I'm saying? It's just an amazing thing of this. And, and again, we need to look at this posture of bowing down. Like as, as I was studying this word, this, the Hebrew word is shaka, shaka, shaka. It's like literally kissing the ground that the person's walking on. That's you bow down so low. It's like, uh, there's that concept of it. This, this, our God is the so worthy of worship that as they walk on the ground, I want to kiss the ground because because of them, this ground is, is holy and I want to. So it's, it's, it's a total, and if you think about it, it's humbling. It's a humbling aspect. Like we don't do that in our culture to Forget bowing, like there's other cultures out there that they bow to each other, right? But can you imagine to kneel in front of somebody? That's total surrender. To lie down in front of them and, and total, that is not her. But how humbling that is. If any of you guys ever wash somebody's feet, that's a humbling experience to kneel and wash somebody's feet, especially somebody you don't know. Like with my wife, I, she has cute feet. I'll, I'll, wa I'll wash her feet all day. But 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 I remember doing it. <laughs> but I remember at the I do doing it at a men's retreat. And there's all these grown men having showered in two days, and I'm over here washing their feet and, and praying over them and and loving on them. And it's like, all right, Lord, you put me in a in a place of total humility, but. With God, it's even it's it's that posture. It's the physical posture of total surrendering and saying, "God, you are above me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." It's it's the total. It's not about me. It's about it's about Him, and and that kind of leads to the worship belongs to God and God alone. The uh, kind of the la one of the last points is worship belongs to God and God alone. The first commandment. What is the first commandment that is given to the Jews? There's ten commandments. The first one starts off with. Ten commandments? Yeah. What's the first one? To love your God before any other. No other God 
I'm a jealous God. Oh, I can read it. Yeah, yeah, read it. Okay. Exodus 21. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then the second one, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of everything on heaven or on earth or below the earth. You shall not bow down to them and worship, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Like that, that's his, the first commandment that he ever did was not give me 10% of this, <laughs> not sing these songs to me, not, no, I am, <laughs> I am who I am. I am alone are worthy of worship. Also the first thing you did. Yes. And all they the, like right after, right they after the calf and started. Yeah. The first one, uh, the first one you broke the tablets, it. Bang, that's it perfect. Is, yeah. Right. And the, I love that we're, we're looking at this. Is that why you call it breaking the commandments? Whoa. Whoa. Sorry. That was a rabbit trail. <laughs> so you're looking at that. It's, it's that the first thing. And then what's the, the last thing says in revelation, every knee will bow and every tongue confess from the beginning to the end, he's like, listen, here's the command. You have all this time to figure it out because at the end, you still, you're going to do it. But I want whether you to do you it. Whether you want to, you want to or not, you're going to do it. But but that's not what he wants. Right. He wants us to, blessed are the ones who believe, who does not see and, and believe, right? It's, it's, that, it's that aspect of it, but it all belongs to him and him alone. And, and that is... Um, as you read the Old Testament over and over again, the Israelites trust in him, believe in him, worship him, and then they start looking somewhere else, and they get a pow-pow, and they get in trouble, and then they cry out, you are our only God, he comes back, he blesses them, and it's the circle and circle and circle, and we do the same thing over and over, man, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray to you, I'm gonna Read your word. I'm, I'm going to surrender my decisions. You first, me second. I am second movement. I have a, I have a cool a wristband and all that stuff. And then something happens and we forget about God and something else comes in. Our sickness becomes our worship. Our lack of money becomes our worship. Our spouses become our worship. Our work becomes our worship. Our the way we want to feel becomes our worship and it we take away from that and we definitely need to remember that only god is worthy of our worship so i think one of the things that we're, we're kind of saying without saying but the part that we really want to drive home first of all is that worship is not singing it very rarely if ever has to do with singing and music. Praise, praise has to do with singing and music. But we have allowed praise to define what worship means. Mm -hmm. Praise is one very, very, very small sliver of what it means to worship God. Worship is that intimate surrender. Mm -hmm. It's recognizing the presence of God in your life, recognizing who God is, and submitting to him, surrendering to him. So you pray, God speaks, and you bow down, and you say, yes, Lord, you know? And you say, come, come, stay with me. Like, show me the way, lead me, guide me. So worship is surrender. 
It has to do with whether it's a physical posture of bowing down, kneeling, praying, whatever. We, we have lost so much of the practice of worship as believers, and we, we've called worship this other thing. It's, not, it's also not about getting into some happy state of joyfulness. and I, God doesn't need us for an, a half an hour once a week right. to stroke his ego. Right. Like, that's not, you know, because I think we think like, oh, well, if I go to church and I read my Bible and I worship and stuff, like, then it's like, again, going back to that checklist of things that we're supposed to do to have a relationship with God and be a good Christian. Like, I have to put in adequate time stroking God's ego and telling God how awesome he is and how thankful I am and how holy he is. Like, he knows who he is. He doesn't need us to do that. We need to do that because we need to recognize who he is and who he made us to be. But, But he doesn't, this is not something that we have to put in time because God is like, well, unless you spend so many hours a week singing happy songs and lifting your hands, like, that's not... He wants us to worship with our life as a living sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. He wants us to be intimate with him. So worship is surrender. Yeah. Worship, the, the word, the root word for worship is to bow down. So what we want every, all of us to understand is that when we have time, whether it's a time of worship corporately or whether you have worship on your own, to, to start to see your whole life as different acts of worship. When, if God speaks... Do you follow? Do you do it? Do you submit? Do you surrender? If you see the presence of God, how do you react? Do you blow it off and just keep doing what you're doing? Like my husband was saying, do we make these other things an idol? In other words, what are we surrendering to? What are we surrendering our mood to? What are we surrendering our time to? What are we surrendering our energy to? You know, are, are we allowing, are we worshiping our emotions and allowing our emotions to dictate our life? So there is a time where we stop and we say, God, you are God. And the breath that I'm breathing right now comes from you, and I just want to honor you. And so help my mood to change because my mood is not in a good place. But there is also a very real thing of we don't slap on a smile and say, you know, joy to the world, the Lord has come, when on the inside, like, I'm depressed and I feel like my life is falling apart. The the story that was on my husband's heart was from Job. One, oh, you're there. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. So when we were studying worship and looking at that word of uh, the word the one of the first ones that popped into my head of how worship looks different is job job 1 20 and 21 it's right as soon as he finds out that all these horrible things happen to him right he's lost all of his children he's lost all of his belongings. and 120 and this is at this when he hears this news at this job got up and tore his robe shaved his head then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came, uh, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That is, to me, to hear that that was worship, especially in a time as that, where you find out your kids are dead, you lost all your money you lost all your valuable things and this is how he worshiped his worship was grief yeah like he said you are still my god and i will still serve you and i will still lift you up but the pain and the loss was real like he was he tore his clothes he covered himself in ashes and he he 
cried out to God in pain. He was very real about it. You know, I mean, imagine if he like took out the symbols and started dancing and singing a praise song after he just found out this news. But this is worship. Like it doesn't look anything like what so much of us have practiced and have been taught. So it also doesn't have to be super complicated. I just wanted to, we could just kind of finish here and then just share your thoughts, reactions, questions. Um, again, we wanted to move through because we were, we started a little late. Uh, it says in Luke 24, uh, yeah, 24, just going back after Jesus' resurrection, it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, this is on the road to Emmaus, um, Jesus appeared to, to two disciples. And it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. And it says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And I just think this is, this is actually what worship and church is meant to look like is we recognize the presence of God and we invite God to stay with us and dwell with us and speak to us to give us understanding. You know, it's that taking of the time slowly, gently to share a meal, to understand the scriptures, to see what God's will is for our lives, and then to leave in praise and worship and surrender. And it says here that after they recognize him, it says, were our hearts not burning within us? And it's just such a cool picture because I think when we really encounter worship, when we really recognize the presence of God with us, we do feel that fire. And uh, this book here, Celebration of Discipline, he makes a really good point. And he says that worship is, is kind of that, is, is like that fire. Like when, when we're separate, we may be like a poor burning log. But even poor burning logs, when you bundle them to, together, can make a great fire for mm -hmm. warmth. Yeah. And so sometimes when we come on a Sunday, we may come in limping and not really sensing the presence of God. But when we come together corporately and we start to see what God is doing in each of our lives, that that little spark, that little kindle, you know, regains the flame so that we can go out and continue to be faithful for another another week. Amen.